Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John LeCone. And I'm Eric Scuzz. Crab cakes and football scouts, let's go. Let's go. Big win. Uh, big win. Back to 500. Um, four wins for this football team at this point in the season, you know, tomorrow as we record this is Halloween. Going into November at four and four, like anyone who thought that this would be the case, I mean, you're way more optimistic than I was. Um, and then, of course, you know, to, to have the, to have David Braun having the same record as Scuzz's second favorite head coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's amazing. The um, oh, you, you're not gonna you're gonna, not gonna take the bait, huh? I, that I it uh, no no okay <laughs> uh, too too early to get the Davo rant okay sorry too, about that sorry too, I, I was I was not prepared I'm I'm so glad that I mean this is one of those pods where we just have to go big picture before we dive into the specifics of this game as good as this game was because. And, and before before we do that, I just want want to mention right off the top, this weekend, Northwestern plays Iowa in at Wrigley Field, and we are co-hosting uh, a great watch party with our good friends over at Beermiscuous, um, over at Racine and Diversi and in Lakeview. Amazing place, amazing venue. Come on by, uh, see us. Um, Austin is a Northwestern grad. He's owned the bar since it opened, and it's just a wonderful place to hang out, wonderful place to to chill, and we're going to have the game on. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I guarantee we'll you know be able to get beers much faster at uh, Beer Miscuous than you would if you were sitting at Wrigley Field. I, I guarantee that. For and sure. much and much better beers, I might add. Exactly. Like, this is this is like a culinary experience, folks. Um, a, a seemingly endless supply of, or endless list, I should say, of excellent beers that you get to pair with questionable Iowa play calling. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of Iowa, La- lame, du- you, lame duck Iowa, co- lame duck Iowa play calling. Yeah, if you and speaking of Iowa, if you've got tickets to this game or you're planning on getting tickets to this game, awesome, go show out and and have a blast. And but if you're not or you're thinking or you're on the fence of what you're going to do based on obvious reasons of what Wrigleyville is going to be like that day, I can pretty well guarantee that there's going to be nary an Iowa fan in Beer Miscuous. So if you're thinking, oh my God, that just army is going to descend on and pollute Wrigleyville and I want no part of it, well, here's another option. Come to Beer Miscuous and uh, cheer on the cats with us. 2812 North Lincoln Avenue uh, in Chicago. Um, come on by. It's going to be a really good time. We're going to have a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, so that is happening this weekend uh, as Northwestern takes on Iowa. But uh, yeah, uh, John, to the big picture, I mean, you're like I said, off the off the top, you know, we're sitting here at four and four. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it's where we all have to stop and think and be like, Northwestern has four winnable games left on their schedule. If Northwestern wins two of those four games, this is one of the greatest football seasons in Northwestern football history. There's just, you can't exaggerate it. 
it is this is a team that was one and eleven last year, lost four players to the NFL, including the best left tackle in college football. Um, then had the roof cave in, right? In we're all more than aware, and now is four and four um, with an exciting eminently likable interim head coach. I mean, the love affair with David Braun goes to new heights every day with four winnable games, starting with a bullet with this Iowa game. And it's like, if we win six and this team bowls, again, in the face of the odds, the nation said this team was going to be two and 10, and we did not have a good counter argument to anyone who said that. And here we are. It's not just that we're four and four. It's that everyone has seen, even for flashes, even if it's a quarter at a time, even if it's inconsistent, that this team is capable of going to places that are more than good enough to beat every team left on our schedule. It's it's wild. I mean, it's not just one of the best seasons. It's one of the most preposterous. And I think what's what's really important is that we were extremely world worried about the construction of this team, the makeup of this team on... November, whatever the day after Thanksgiving was or day after Saturday after Thanksgiving was last year. So put all the stuff that happened over the summer to the side. We were really concerned about the construction of this team. We were excited about David Braun coming in as DC. We, we said ad nauseum that Northwestern had to do well in the transfer portal with regard to the defensive line. We thought they needed some some help in the quarterback room as well. They got one of those things and not the other. But, John, you outlined it kind of perfectly um, after last week's game, leading up to this Maryland game, talking about how the players on our defensive line, as unheralded as their background and pedigree has been, have, have shown some of the most improvement um, that we've ever seen in this team. And, and it's not magic that makes that happen. It is coaching and it's hard work. And every, every one of our hats off to the guys on that defensive line, to the coaches in the defensive line room, across the defense, all the way up to Braun. Like this is, this is what has gotten Northwestern to four wins this year. I mean, like, yes, there's a lot, a lot of things to point to on the offensive side as well. Ben Bryant, um, the, the improvement of, um, Sullivan's play the last couple of weeks as he's kind of gotten his game legs back under him. Um, the offensive line reacting and improving, uh, after, you know, down moments, um, at, at two or three points to the course of this year. Like there's a lot of credit to go around, but like vert almost an, like 11 months ago, we were extremely worried about the construction of this team because of the lack of depth on the defensive line and the guys in the room and the coaches have come together, have bought in, have trusted each other, have adopted a new identity and mentality that permeates the entirety of this football team in all three phases. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to behold. It's incredible. I mean, there are, there are a couple of things that I want to kind of hit in a larger sense before we get into the specifics of the game. But since you brought it up, one specific guy that I will cite is to everything you were talking about and everything we talked about last week with like the interior defensive line and being like, uh, like 
it might seem like magic, but it's just like guys working their asses off and getting coached up incredibly well. Reginald Pearson ate Talia Tagovailoa in this game on one play. He split a double team and then went and sat on Talia and gobbled him up. <laughs> sat on Talia. I love it. This is this he did. I mean, like, I I'll I'll probably have to get the gif of him of him alligator crawling across Talia's face after that sack. But this is a guy who was splitting time last year at Bethune Cookman. And had no other, I don't believe, FBS transfer offers. Maybe I think he had Old Dominion and Northwestern. And he was awesome in this game. And he's an amalgam of like the group was just really good as a group. And we'll get into it later. But I mean, there's an example of a guy where it's like, we talked about all these guys last last week, but Scuzz is right. It's like, we had a lot of these worries and these worries were based on the really bad recent track record and a lack of, you know, recruiting stars, et cetera. And then a bunch of guys have just gotten way better. And that's that's all there is to it. But in a larger sense, going back to this whole, like Scuzz said, preposterous. Like this is like a ludicrous season relative to what any reasonable expectation should be, right? And I know the guys in the locker room will tell you, no, they always believe and as they should, right? But let's take the offensive line as an example. The offensive line had a horrible week last week, as we know, and gave up eight sacks. But if we all just like step back, right? And we're like, if I told you at the beginning of the season, yeah, this offensive line's going to give up eight sacks a game because they've never played before. They lost the best left tackle in college football. Uh, they have no synthesis as a unit and no meaningful reps together for any length of time. And oh yeah, this team went through an absolute nightmare scenario that included a major change at their head coach, right? All of these things. So yeah, this team's going to give up eight sacks a game and we're going one and 11. And we'd be like, well, that's awful, but it definitely scans. That's not what happened at all. Last week stood out because it was so horrible in the face of the best moments this team has had, like the whole second half of the Minnesota game when the offensive line was great. And you know what? They gave up five sacks in this Maryland game, but there were massive stretches of this game that ran in the face of those five stre- of those five sacks. Massive stretches where the protection was great, the whole offense worked. And we piled up points. And it's like, that's that's incredible if you stop and think about it. Like, what? Let's all rewind to where we were in the late summer and be like, there are these extended stretches against Big Ten competition where everything works and this team just moves the ball and performs. And we all have this feeling in the back of our head. Everyone has it. If we just play that football, we're more than good enough to win every one of these last four games. We all think that no matter how glass half empty or how glass full you are, it's just degrees. Everyone's like, well, geez, if we just play that, just do what we did on all of those drives and we can win. Why can't we do that all the time? And it's like, why can't we do it all the time? This is a miracle. Like what is happening here in the face of everything we've seen is incredible. And we all just need to step back for a second and appreciate that. I'm going to do this on the fly a little bit. So obviously 1995 is the most preposterous season in 
modern college football history. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just given how out of nowhere it was, the, the start at Notre Dame and, and you know, what, what those two programs meant, et cetera, right? Um, 2000 was pretty darn mm-hmm. surprising. And we um, were there for that one. Especially because, like, like so for those who weren't, you know, paying attention, in 1999, Northwestern went, what, three and eight, I think? Three and eight, yeah. With one Big Ten win. It was one or, Big or Ten was win. It, or, I, was it three and nine with the Hawaii game? Because I uh, have a Big Ten preview. I have a college football preview magazine up in my bedroom that has us predicted to finish last in the Big Ten. That yeah, year. No, everybody predicted us to finish last in the Big Ten because we didn't win a game in a uh, Big Ten game in 98 under Barnett's last year. And we won one the next year with Walker. Sammy, that Hawaii game was 98. It wasn't 99. 98. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, so, so I think they went three and three and, and eight. Yeah. And then they came back with this wildly different offense that stunned out everyone. So that, so that was a very shocking season. I think, you know, once you get into, once you get into the, so, so the following years with Walker, there weren't, there weren't really surprises, right? Um, probably the next most shocking year is 2015 when as a freshman Thorson leads the cats to, to double digit wins. And really we know it was the defense that, that led them. Um, like this season is probably on par with that 2015, if not a a little wilder. I mean, like the, the, the other most surprising year, I think probably is 2020, 2020. Yeah. I was going to say given how bad 2019 was, but we all know 2020 was, like <laughs> the, the most bonkers year probably m- most of us have experienced in our in our lives um yeah so i like i like that's just to put it in context like we are experiencing something very rare and surprising and i think what is when i think like what what i was saying earlier about um the way these guys have 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 stepped up and the way like you know whether it's the defensive line whether it's Sullivan or Bryant or seeing AJ Henning starting to emerge in this new, in this new team with this new role. Like this team is really fun to root for. And uh, like that, that matters. Like there are, there are other teams that I've been a fan of, whether, whether it's Cubs teams or Vikings teams or whatever, where like, it's my team. They're my colors. I'm wearing, I'm wearing the Jersey. I'm cheering for them, but there, there are years where, like you, like you feel it as, as you're in the moment of, man, this group is so much fun to get behind. And I have that feeling this year with Northwestern football. Absolutely. And as long as we're yeah. talking about guys to get behind and maybe in the interest of starting to move towards this game, let's talk about Brendan Sullivan. Okay. So yep. obviously Brendan Sullivan had an amazing frigging game in this game, 321 total yards. Um, two touchdowns. He was, what do you want more from him in this game? Scuzz and I were going, we were all going back and forth about just how unreal that laser to Kurtz over the deep middle Oof. of the field was Yeah, on that pump and go. It's not um, the longest pass he's ever thrown, but I don't like it's, I think it's the best pass he's ever thrown in his career. It was unbelievable. It was, I mean, he, was, he threw a radio control ball. It, couldn't have been placed any better. Um, and the two plays before that threw another laser to Kurtz. He dropped one out of the sky to Cam Johnson in the second half. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who also on the fly drew up a sandlot play for AJ Henning um, in a major, just drew that up on the fly. 
Just like that one to Kurtz in the Nebraska game, he just drew it up. And look, Brendan Sullivan is not the greatest QB at read progression. At least not right now, not at this point in his career. First read, second read, third read, that is not the guy's strength. And yes, if there is a free release rusher coming at him sometimes, and there's an open player somewhere because the defense is left that opening to get another rusher up for the quarterback. Sometimes Brendan Sullivan will try to make it happen with his feet and evade that guy instead of getting that ball out. He does everything else amazing. He's a really accurate quarterback with a pretty good arm. This notion that like, oh, his arm's not like, his arm's fine. He's capable of being laser accurate down the field, okay? He doesn't throw the ball up for grabs a lot. He's not a guy who tries to make it happen and throws that crazy play in the Penn State game stands out because it stands in the face. He doesn't do that. He may try to make something happen with his legs, but he's not like Luke Kaltmeyer. He doesn't try to make something happen with his legs and then just chuck it back into the middle of the field and see what happens. He doesn't do that. <laughs> he's He throws accurate balls. He's tough as nails, right? Um, we all know this. No one doubts this. He's tough as nails. He wants the big moment. He's cool under pressure. He has a ton of moxie. He And he is more than willing, if the play breaks down, to try to put something together on the fly, play Sandlot football, and make some magic happen. He's done it in both of the past games, okay? And he's pretty hey, fast. John, quick question for you. Are you back driving the Brendan Sullivan bandwagon? Hey, I mean, he's... and He never quit, and, Sammy. He never quit. I know, and, I know. And, and, right, he works his ass off. His progression from Howard to Nebraska through this game looks like what? Like GameStop stock from the Robin Hood era, right? Yeah. It's going it's going up like a rocket. Like he's gotten way better. He's working his ass off out there. I can't say it any more plainly than this. If the guy I just described is great at read progression coming out of high school, we don't get him. That's like North Carolina State Russell Wilson or someone like that. That's a four-star, five-star recruit who goes to some big college. At some point, you have to step back and be like, what does this guy do really well? This is a three-star quarterback from Davidson, Michigan, who did not have another high major offer, I don't think, right? Um, And look at all the tools he has. Look at the kind of football he is capable of playing. And remember where this football program was this summer and over the past couple of years. The, the things he does when he's on are incredible. What? How can we reasonably be asking for more than what Brendan Sullivan turned in a game like this against Maryland to get us a major Big Ten win? Well, well. So I, I, I want to put his, I want to put his stats in context a little bit, um, because I think there are some, um, I, I'll say, generous takes on what we saw last year from Sullivan, and that's not to say that he was horrible. He was, you know, a brand new QB in a somewhat broken team with no defense and a offensive coordinator that is, um, shall we say, uh, streaky at best. (laughs) Um, That's, that's generous. His best performance last year was throwing for 160 yards against Iowa. 76% complete. Two TDs, one pick. That was his best game last year. 150, I said 156, 159, 159 yards. 
He threw for 265 yesterday against Maryland. Even if you take out the 53-yard screen pass that was mostly Joseph Hyman, it still blows his his high from last year out of the water. Um, His second best game in his career was, uh, yardage-wise, was last week against Nebraska. Now, completion percentage, bad. He threw the pick, no TDs, et cetera. So, right, like, like kind of cross that one off. But, like, what what I I think what what made me most happy yesterday was seeing Sullivan operate effectively both as a in the pocket like perfect evidence that that Kurtz ball but then also like the thing that he brings that is special about him is that he can move he can extend the play he can do the Talia Tungavaloa thing where he escapes pressure, he gets outside, and he finds, you know, something new. That the 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 pass to AJ Henning, the 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 34-yard pass towards the end of the game. Like that's vintage Brennan Selva. That's like the that's like what you expect to see. The the Kurtz throw was new. That was new for me. Um, but so I think just putting this in context, context, like this was far and away his best game of the year. I, like, is he gonna put this up against Iowa next week? That's a much tougher defense. Probably not. But the the growth that we're seeing from him, which, like, it's his second year playing. You expect to see some growth there. We know he got injured. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, like, with Howard. Like, he looked like a guy that hadn't played college football in a year and was still kind of figuring it out, like, being on the front line, right? Like, in the, earlier in the season, he came in for a garbage time drive when two two garbage time two, drives. two garbage time drives in two games um the defense you know were playing backups the game was not in doubt etc like against howard like they were gunning for him all game long same thing with nebraska same thing with maryland and to see him respond and grow before our eyes is it's exactly what you want to see from a second year player so um all the credit to what we're seeing in terms of his progression mentally his comfort on the field and then the team around him i thought i thought they did a much better job structuring the offense to his to his strengths compared to nebraska where you know he stayed in that pocket against nebraska and threw the ball which was great to see they engineered his ability to get outside of the pocket in this game like by design right Um, yeah i I was i was gonna say that You you look at you know how he was running out of the pocket against howard and he was just running out of the pocket because, you know, it was one look and then roll. Uh, Nebraska, you could see, he was like, they told him, stay in the pocket, stay in the pocket. And he did. And, you know, you could see him like, I want to go, but I, I need to stay. And then he got he got wrecked. Um, so, here, so so for those counting at home, I'm, I'm not, I, like, I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but like, it took the, uh, it took the, co- the coaches three weeks to adjust the offense for for Sullivan four four weeks if you know you count the the bye week between um Howard and Nebraska right four weeks to to actually adjust the offense to a guy with a dramatically different skill set from Ben Bryant I yeah I, and like just just watching like designed rollouts and designed pocket motion was just night and day from just like three four weeks ago against Howard when he was you know put into the starting role because I just want to, I just want to stop and say, like, three weeks ago, after the Howard game, uh, Scuzz went out to uh, Brendan Sullivan. Just hasn't played in a long time, and 
is coming off a major injury and just needs more reps island all by himself. And he was the only one on that island. And you can all try to join Scuzz on that island now, but he owns all the beachfront property and he's going to charge <laughs> a major premium. Um, Scuzz, Scuzz was on that. That take aged like fine wine, everybody. Um, but It's called Monopoly for a reason, y'all. <laughs> but but while, while we're talking about that, like the rollouts and things like that, okay? So let's go back to the offensive line. Because, again, the offensive line and the tight ends had nowhere to go but up after last game. Oh, it was geez. just where literally everything that could go wrong went wrong. And there were a couple of times, and again, I think part of this is read progression. Um, there were a couple of sacks where, honestly, Sullivan was in the pocket for a long time, and you can't really see downfield on the tape, and you're like, this ball's got to go somewhere by this point, um, and maybe there's not a read, etc. And again, it's like these are – some of the wrinkles you're still trying to iron out. There were a couple of those. There were there was at least one play where Maryland really effectively just like overloaded the interior of the line and squeezed a guy through, and it was kind of a, a weird play. And again, five sacks is five sacks. But again, there were these long periods of time where everything from a protection standpoint worked perfectly. And I found myself watching particularly the drive that Ended with that unbelievable throw on the pump and go to Kurtz over the middle. There were a couple plays on that drive where you you start that drive watching two plays before that throw to Kurtz. Sullivan threw an, another just absolute laser to Kurtz on a deep out. Um, and you're just like, they were just absolutely just hive mind on that drive. But the more you watch those plays, you realize how good the protection is. And really good in complex ways and featuring an assist from an unbelievable performance from Marshall Lang, who had a phenomenal game and a really good performance from Anthony Tyus, who had a great game pass blocking. And the first of the plays, the deep out to Kurtz, there's a ton going on on this play. It's a complex thing with a lot of different protections where you stop and you realize, man, this is a, this is a unit that is locked in on this play and for this entire group, right? All, all three levels of protection, nothing worked last week. So the out, the deep out to Kurtz is they show a run block look to try to buy more time. Most of the line down blocks to the left and Josh pre pulls to the right. So you're showing down block and pull, but it's not a run. It's a pass play. And you have, because all the line is down blocking and it's a pass play and you just have pre pulling to, to handle some of the opposite rush, the outside guy, and Maryland brings five on this play, is you have Lang and Tyus are responsible for that guy. Or actually, Lang is responsible for that guy. So the first thing that happens is Lang gives an unbelievable block on this guy. It's block and release. And he does it perfectly. You go back and you're like, wow, Marshall Lang was wide open on this play in the flat and Sam and I remember we were watching in the stands being like boy Sullivan had a short option there if he didn't want Kurtz and then you're like well if he's wide open in the flat who blocked the guy on the outside and it's like Lang blocked the guy on the outside and he blocked him so well that he blocked him and then got out to the flat and Sullivan still had time to throw the ball but you look a lot of other things you have a, a bunch of the the first thing that happens on the play is remember they're all down blocking to the left but down blocking and pass blocking. So the first thing that happens is Josh Thompson 
doesn't hold on a play when a ton of guys would hold because the motion of the play takes him to a spot where he can't do any good and a guy runs right past him and his instinct is to just turn and be like, that's a guy I'm supposed to block and I can't block him. And he thinks about putting hands on him and he's like, nope, I got to go look for someone else. And he doesn't make that. Last week, someone holds on this play. And he lets Pre pick the guy up and he goes looking to help somewhere else. And the motion and everyone else picks up their man and Lang gets that great chip. And Sullivan, he gets all the time he needs and he just fires a laser. And then the play after that on that deep on the deep pass to Kurtz, it's just perfect protection. You can watch it in the in the real time and then you can watch it in the replay. Sullivan just has a wall around him. And the right side of the wall is Lang and Tyus double teaming a guy and just obliterating him. And the protection is perfect. And it's like, that's how it was for a ton of this game. It didn't work at spots, but it's just like we said last week. Sullivan's not the only guy busting his ass to get better. These guys were all miserable after the Nebraska game. They went and they watched the tape and they came out and they got a lot better. And it's like, that's what you want. That's coaching. That's effort. Um, it's why, you know, you do your best to take every game one game at a time. Spe- speaking of takes that have aged well, <laughs> um, going into the 2021 season, I was really excited about Bryce Kurtz. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's it took a couple of years. Like, he's he's battled a lot of injuries. It took a couple of years, but, like, th- this dude is a legit number one receiver. And we've seen, whether it was the second half against Minnesota, uh, or this game, like the the chemistry that he is he has developed with two different quarterbacks now in rapid succession is, um, I mean the, the the guy's a baller. It's so phenomenal to see. Yeah, the, I mean the wide receiver core, Henning, Kurtz, and Johnson. Do you want something more? I'm good with those three guys. Like that's all three of them had highlight reel catches this 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 past yep. week. And yeah. it's and again and, and it's like Sullivan has a rapport with all those guys. Again, he's got a great relationship. You can tell that he's on the same wavelength. But it goes back to the thing with Sullivan. You know, I was I was thinking about this and being like, someone asked Braun in the post game press conference. So if if Brian's back, you know, what are you going to do? And Braun, you know, dodged the question. But if you ask me the question, I am finally to the place that. I thought I was going to be way back when we first found out Bryant was transferring, which is if you ask me, what are you going to do when Bryant comes back? My answer is, I don't care. I don't care. Whichever. I'm good. I've seen both of these guys play electric football this season. So if you tell me, look, you're either going to get the best of Ben Bryant or the best of Brendan Sullivan. Awesome. I don't care. Flip a coin. Both of those dudes will get yeah, it done. I, I, I want to, I want to, um, spin that into kind of like one other like high level big picture comment commentary about the offense. And and we can, we can talk a little bit about Bajakin if we want before we switch to D, but like a, a question that has come up and we, we asked, I asked um, David Golden and Bradley Locker about this specifically, like is this, is the success we're seeing this year? Are we seeing anything different from Bajakian or is it more about the players and the, the answer that they gave and that I frankly also believe is that, You've got two signal callers because like North, like a Northwestern quarterback gets injured every year, right? Um, you've had two guys that are slinging it and are 
performing excellently. It also it it helps that like the, the the talent at wide receiver um, and the coaching at wide receiver is dramatically different than than we've had for for quite a while too. But um, it's instructive because I think we saw some of Bajakian's worst tendencies in this game as well. Um, you know, a weird trick play in a, in a, in a frankly odd moment to call one that, um, Oh, let, let's uh, tur- turned into a field goal instead of a touchdown. Um, we'll circle back to that. Are we going there yet? No, no we, we don't need to go there yet. But the point, point being like, Bajakian is still Bajakian and he's, he's, he's streaky. He has his, he has his moments and, you know, they structured the, the game plan for today a little bit, a little bit or for this weekend, a little bit better. And um, Sullivan was coached up really effectively and the offensive line uh, adjusted very effectively. But there was still some, you know, weirdness in the game that that caused some problems. Um, so I like I guess where I'm going with it is what what I see so different in this offense that I didn't expect this year is um, very much predicated on just the play of the two QBs and um, growth, especially from Sullivan. But there's also this, um, I guess the other, somebody, you know, somebody asked us uh, over the week, I was trying to come up with a, with a clever response on Twitter. I just couldn't do it. Uh, But somebody asked like, is this, is this an indication that that Fitz was holding back the offensive coordinator? And I don't think so. But at the same, because because again, Bajakian's Bajakian. I don't think he's he's operating dramatically differently from he from the way he did previously. But I do think that there is a subtle identity shift on the team, and this could just be a reaction to everything that happened in this off season. I feel the urgency and the and the determination and that blue collar mentality and that grit that was so prevalent on the defense for the last, I don't know, almost decade. I feel that in all three phases of the game now in a way that I have not felt watching Northwestern football in a long time. All, all, all three phases. You're right. It takes some milk from those udders. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Damn straight. I am. Uh, just, yeah, let, let, Bef- let's talk Bef- about that. I mean, Jack yeah, Olson. Before we get to Jack Olson, because uh, we can we can touch on specials real quick, I want to say one other thing about the offense, one specific thing. So relative to A.J. Henning, when we first got A.J. Henning, our big, I think, reaction to A.J. Henning was Northwestern just picked up one of the most electric football players we have ever seen, wear the purple, right? That's That was the reaction. It's like... Venric Mark, like we might be like the back to the, you know, and what we have actually got from AJ Henning and what I think of when I think of AJ Henning and what I most associate with AJ Henning is big plays, big plays in big moments, right? AJ Henning is that guy who will get open and make that big play when you need a big play. And part of that's athleticism, but part of it's just being a gamer, right? This is a guy who caught that massive pet catch right, to tie the game at the end of the Minnesota game. This is the guy who on the fly in this game, he and Sullivan dialed up that unbelievable deep route, right, where Henning made a big play. Like, I think of like, this is the perfect transition for Henning, a guy who was a utility player on a loaded Michigan play uh, squad to come to Northwestern and be a guy where the team looks at him. is like, we need a big play from you. Not like a big, like, you go really fast here. A big, like, we need a gamer to make a big catch 
And AJ Henning's like, I'm that guy. And that is what I feel like we have really gotten with AJ Henning. And I bring all of this up because there's another guy that every time he's on the field, my heart skips a beat and I intake my breath a little bit. And I'm like, this guy might get the ball on this play. And it is Joseph Hyman. Mm. We did get a guy that is a Venric Mark type who every time this guy touches the ball, I'm like, he might go. If he gets stuffed at the line, he gets stuffed at the line. But if he doesn't, he might go 70 yards. And I mean, I the reaction in the stadium, and Sam and I were lucky enough to be there for this. And if you were all at the game, you know. When he caught the ball, everyone went, ooh. When he took that guy's soul on that play, <laughs> I like the it was one of those crowd reactions that you just don't get to hear a crowd do that reaction very often where everyone just goes, oh, oh, and just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's that kind of football player. And I mean, three more years of Joseph Hyman, sign me up. That guy's electrifying. Venrick Mark was fast as hell. He did. I don't think he had that kind of wiggle to him. I mean, that like, that's reminiscent. I mean, even, even Tyrell Sutton was more of like, a pinball style than, than that juking ability. Um, maybe, maybe JJ had some of that, but like, but that JJ was, didn't have, JJ didn't have the, the speed, not quite the has. jets. Yeah. But that, that was, um, that was incredible. And like, like it, 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 it underscores that this offense is still, um, is still growing. There's, there's, there's a level for them to hit beyond what they've, what they've been at to date. And, and like if this Maryland game was the apex for the year, like I'm at peace with that, but I know, I know that there is like, just like a little bit more explosiveness that they can get to. And I think um, I'm, I'm not going to have it right up, but our, our friend Jay uh, from like the post had you mentioned this, like, in our last seven games, we've scored 30 points in three of them. In our prior, like, 30 games, we scored 30 points in three of them. I Like, I, I probably have those numbers wrong, but um, the, the point remains that, like, you are seeing a, a, a level of offense and, explosive, and, and an explosiveness in offense that we have not seen in a long time at Northwestern. And it is uh, really, really exciting to all the points I was making before about how much fun it is to watch this team right now. And... The idea that, you know, Hyman is a guy that's touching the ball a couple times a game as opposed to like eight or ten times a game. That's what I mean when I say like there's there's one more level they can get to here. Yeah. Do we do we need to talk about third and goal? Let's well let's let's it sucks. Can, can we we can move well, on. Well, <laughs> we can circle back to it later. I just feel like this is the kind of game where we should give all the flowers first. Um, all right. So all let's, right. with that said, Sammy, I, I pulled you off. We were going to talk about the milkman. So let's let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> the milkman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, move trademark, over, trademark John LeCombe. Let's yeah. go. Let's yeah. go. Um, I mean, like, we, we knew – how we knew the kind of talent that Olsen was when he transferred in from Michigan state. We knew we he was st- one of the top kicking recruits in the country. And we, we were, we were, we were stoked he, last year. Yeah. We were stoked. Yeah. And then, then he got hurt like 
in the warmups in Ireland, right? Or is like leading up to that Ireland game, he gets hurt and doesn't play at all last year. And then for him to come in and and kick the way he's kicked. And when was the last time that a Northwestern kicker went out there and you thought, great, let's go. Let's get the three because we, we have, we can do it. We're inside the 30 yard line. We can get three here. We don't have to go for it on fourth and eight because we're on the 29 and our kicker can't get it to the end zone from here. Like, I'll tell you exactly. I'll tell you exactly when I when I thought that last. It's, it's when I was last in the stadium that I was in on Saturday, which was Notre Dame Stadium in twenty fifteen. Oh, Jack Mitchell. Oh, Jack Mitchell, Mitchell. was hot. He was up or da- he was up and down. But when he was on, like he was in that game, you were like, "This dude's making." When he this went kick. for it at the end of that. When he went for it at the end of that game, I was like, "Yep, he's he's hitting it." Like I had all the confidence in the but world. Olson. Right now, I mean, again, like we talked last week, he's only got one miss, and it was down the pipe, dead on, short. And since that, he's tacked on from like fifty-eight. And since from and since then, he's tacked on four more field goals. Uh, and, and again, like this dude is, <laughs> including like a forty-seven, forty-eight. I mean, he's got the I range. Mean, this is not a guy who lacks in confidence. Let's just put it that way. This is a guy who has everyone milk his thumbs after he makes field goal. <laughs> Recruit kickers, and if y'all. You, and if, and if you say. haven't watched the tape and you're like, what are you talking about? I don't know how to describe it any better than that. He has the other guys milk his thumbs after he makes field goals. Has he has he explained that celebration? It, it's It's a euchre thing. Apparently, yeah. I played. I, mean, I played again, a fair amount of euchre. Like, I've I'm never heard with, of that before. I'm going with Milkman. That's the. And we talked about it on Twitter too. Like, if you prorate the season he's having and you stretch it out over 13 games, it matches right up with Jeff Jeff Budzine's junior season when he was All Big Ten Kicker of the Year and then a preseason All American and then an All American. Um, we haven't had this kind of kicking at this level in a long time. And this guy's got swagger and he thinks he can make every kick. And uh, amazing. Like, unbelievable. <laughs> I think he can yeah, make every kick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and he thinks he can make every kick, which is important yep, for a kicker. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, also shout outs to Hunter Renner. You know, he had he had a miserable start to this season. And he has t- really turned it around and made some clutch kicks. And pinned opponents deep. I mean, he's he's really come around. Quite yeah, he had well. a couple goofy. I mean, he had a couple. He kicked well in really goofy wind, and that's all you can ask for because it's like if the wind's all over the place, get it up and and produce a good kick because it might get squirrely. You just got to make the the return man have to return something quality. And the guy dropped one once, and we almost recovered it. Um, and you're right, like he was maligned at the start of the season he's been a lot better obviously he had a couple amazing ones in the nebraska game um but but he's gotten better speaking of returns yeah. that is a, a great pivot i think uh to a guy who i i know we all want to talk about and that's coco Azuma. i mean from that kick return which we haven't seen a kick return like that in a in a long time to his play on defense to the game clinching interception I mean, what more can you say? This guy's just had an incredible game. It's so funny because I know Maryland's red, but their red and whites are not 
too far off from Illinois orange and whites, unis. And maybe that's where I put it in my head because I put a, a gif up of you watch Coco taking that kick return back and then you realize like four, nearly four full years ago, pre-COVID, he was having a massive day running the football as a running back against Illinois. That is how long the road for Coco Azuma has been at Northwestern. And this is a guy who's dealt with a major injury that knocked him out for an entire season. And I mean, on a road that long, that's included that kind of adversity for a guy to have a game like this. I mean, in a game where you could pick any guy for player of the game, there are so many, he's got as good a case as anybody. And yeah, I mean, and just Sammy, you and I were standing outside the locker room after this game, uh, watching Lauren Withrow interview him. And he, he was just so excited and it was just such a great feeling. And yeah, you just, he had a huge moment and this is, no one's earned it more than this guy. Uh, as far as I can tell, Coco Azuma has three career interceptions. Okay. Uh, the first one was also against Maryland. Wow. In, tw- in 2020. And then I believe I'm 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 trying to confirm Ac- here. According to ESPN stats, he has two career interceptions. Well, maybe that was the other one. Well, no, they've 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 got a weird like phantom postseason one for him, which I'm trying oh, to okay. I'm trying to figure out where that's coming from. If that's um, I I think it might be the uh, Big Ten championship against Ohio State. Oh, okay. So um. But either either way, like I think what it is so cool the way John you talked like almost kind of bookending his career on like just the incredible rushing performance he had against Illinois out of nowhere his freshman year and then how he's progressed to be like he's I mean he's he's a phenomenal safety yeah a phenomenal safety I mean like the hits he was laying on Harburg last <laughs> he erased week raced Harburg yeah mm-hmm. and then I mean the the, the like. It is it is a it is a picture of just incredible like development over over the course of career and um, it's great to see him get that pick off of a you know a good QB obviously the ball was a little bit overthrown but he was in the right spot at the right time and to see him contributing on special teams as well like obviously like he's you know one of the stars of this game um, and I I you know I, I don't want to undersell all the plaudits we have for for Coco Asimov, but we. we we got to dig into this. Oh, we, oh, I mean, I we mean, saved. It's, yeah, no, for I, sure. It, the, it's hard to even know where to start. So many guys. Have, I'm going to start. Yeah, go here. ahead. I'm, I'm going to start here. Six sacks. Yep. And the mm-hmm. most impressive freaking play I've seen from a Northwestern defender this year. I don't even know what play you're going to say may, here. May, That's why I'm so excited. Maybe. <laughs> maybe in multiple years is that Bryce Gallagher went full Jadavian clowning (laughs) (laughs) sacking, not like people use the term strip sack all the time of like, Oh, you're hitting the QB and knocking the ball out. No, he smacked Talia Tungavaloa like full on. And as he was tackling him, pulled the ball away from him and stole it for a turnover. 
I have only ever seen one other player do it. It was Jadavian <laughs> Clowney in the bowl game against Michigan in the in the in the Outback Bowl. Um, like, I, like I was watching the highlights in a hotel room on Sunday morning. I was jumped to my feet and shouted. Um, and it was only because my kids were still like slowly waking up that I didn't it, like, it was unbelievable. I was so, um, and, and like, the, sorry, one other, pi- like the other piece of that play, he is, he's like seven yards deep from the line of scrimmage when he's, when, when he decides to rush, he, he must be spying the speed with which Bre- go go rewatch yeah. the replay. And Bryce Gallagher of, of, not, of the of not the game. a guy known for speed. Well, so I this this is this is what I was thinking about basically all day on Sunday. The speed that he demonstrated it is reminiscent of. Do you guys remember his freshman year? Justin Jeff uh, 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 Justin Jackson got loose plenty of times. He did not have the speed to go the distance. He always got tracked down from behind. Yeah. As his career progressed, you saw his speed increase. Again, going back to the point of hard work and coaching, that is hard work. That is training. And the speed that was on display from Bryce Gallagher on that play demonstrates the effort and the hard work that that dude has put in in the last two years from when he became a starter in 2021 and it, 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 it goes to the mindset of, you know, many of the guys that we've seen step up this season, but like that, that play from, from top to bottom just absolutely blew my socks off. And I mean, it's like you talk about again, Bryce Gallagher's not a particularly fast dude, but at linebacker, what you do and when you do it is what's going to amplify your speed, right? It's like, it's all the little things. It's, it's a guy is, Fast, a guy at linebacker is faster if he knows what's happening a second before everyone else does. And you're right. Like his read on that play was fantastic. It's funny you started with the linebackers because we could have started at any position unit because these guys were all so good. But as I've said many times, because he often plays downhill and going back to the, the star package was a de facto linebacker. We've talked before um, about how thin the rotation was, right? And how it was always like the same guys in the same positions doing the same things, etc. Well, if we do the old dance of counting Rod Hurd as a linebacker, here's how many linebackers made meaningful contributions in this game. Five. Five guys made meaningful contributions. Rod Hurd, Bryce Gallagher, Xander Mueller, Mac Uline, and Kenny Source. Those guys were all on the field for big moments and they made big contributions. They rotated like Bron just plays a bunch of guys all the time. And you realize, and you're like, Oh wait, Oh, this guy's out there. Oh, this guy's out there. Oh, this guy's out there. And it's just like, every guy comes in being like, I'm in a maximum position to succeed. I'm out here for a reason. I'm about to go to work. And it's like all of those guys, no guy did it at the expense of every other guy. They're just guys rotating in like crazy to make big plays. And it's funny. You talk about like instincts, Xander Mueller, who had a ridiculous game in this game, he had a sack, um, a sack where he practically murdered Talia. And like that was at the end of a series where he got absolutely screwed by the refs. Um, And we 
we oh put my the god that that call was so frigging bad and we we saw it all in the stadium but then like on replay where basically he can't see that a guy who's one guy's trying to tackle um the wide receiver he can't see that the wide receiver's knee is down so the guy could the wide receiver could escape the grasp at any point and lord knows northwestern's had times when they've been snake bit on tackles so you better believe if a northwestern guy doesn't hear the whistle he's going to wrap up well the thing is the ref can see plain as day that the knee is down. He knows it's down. Instead of blowing the whistle, he's just like, well, I know the play's over, so I'll just assume everyone else knows the play's over. And he just takes his sweet time. And by the time it occurs to him, maybe he should blow the whistle. Uh, Xander's already about to tattoo this guy. And then the guy's like, oh, no, that's your, you should have known that I knew the play was dead when I, you know. And, but what I watched on that play, talking about instincts, you see even more in the replay, Xander is, and this is the kind of thing, there's no way to coach this. There's no way to explain it other than a guy's just playing this position at an elite level for a long period of time and he just knows. You can watch him process that the ref hasn't done anything. It happens in a millisecond, but he's running, his brain is firing and trying to make a decision. Do I hit this guy or do I not hit this guy? And something in his mind sees, well, the ref thinks this play is still live. So here we go. And he just lights the guy up. And that was what made it even more annoying because it's like, this guy's reading you and you're not doing anything, but it also goes to just Xander's play. And Xander is, he was the capper on that unbelievable goal line stand that ended on fourth down when he tipped that pass. And Mm -hmm. Lord, I was watching the replay of that again today of he tips the pass, he goes bananas, and then they cut to Braun just losing his mind. And oh my God, you just like, you you get so jacked up and you're like, oh man, just like, just let's go. Um, get me to get me to next Saturday already. But yeah, the backers, like, like Scott said, I mean, it's like guys like working for a long time, getting better, coaching. Um, McGarrigal, great work by him. Um, and... And the unit just like showing out. Uh, speaking of next Saturday, we really do need to move oh, on. Well, well, um, okay. We, well, we got we got to say yeah, one before, more thing. Yeah, before we go, S- six yeah. sacks from a defense that has struggled to get to the QB. Um, six sacks. Like I like I. So I I want to say something about that. So a couple of things about that effort. First of all, Aiden Hubbard is credited with three sacks in this game. But I believe, and I, I could be wrong, at least two of those are plays where he's credited with a sack because Talia was forced out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage. Like he took off, they sent him running, and he ran out, and it, it was for a loss, and they credited him with a sack. And I bring that up only because in that sense, those sacks like symbolize the kind of day that this defensive line had. They just harassed him all day. Yeah. Um, he was just every single guy. They were all rotating in like crazy, this committee approach. And it was like effort. One of the most hilarious things, I was laughing so hard. Michael Kilbane is listed at the bottom of the stat sheet for this game with a bunch of zeros. And Carmine Bastone isn't listed on the stat sheet at all. And both of those guys were massive contributors in this game. Oh, they played their asses off. It was incredible. The idea that neither of those two guys technically recorded a stat, Bastone was nose tackle 
at the one inch line two plays in a row when they stoned Maryland on second and third down on that drive. Um, and he also like harassed, like he was running all over the place. He was one of those guys harassing and Kilbane. This was his coming out party. Get ready to see three more years of this guy. This was a four-star recruit, big time player. This was the first game where he got meaningful reps and it was just bull rushes and chase bull rush and chase all day. And he had no stats. That guy was sucking wind on the sideline um, because he did nothing but flush Tolly out of the pocket all day. Um, these guys, that's a group effort. Those guys just like they could not have earned those six sacks anymore. Um, and for every one of those yeah. six, they every one of those guys deserves like all the flowers for the work they did. I believe we saw Roberts and Gant out there as well. We saw, at one point, I, we saw Roberts. I don't know if we Roberts. Saw yeah, we saw Roberts. Roberts got probably that's true. He got as much work. I think as he's had up to the season other than the Minnesota game. Yeah. And it was, he was another guy. So someone, someone flagged us on Twitter and said they saw both of them out there at the same time. But like, I think regardless, like we are seeing, like we, like we've seen flashes from the D we've seen better performance than, than we expected. We we're starting to see some confidence from them. And it's just, it's at the perfect yeah. time because we have an incredible opportunity on the plate. This upcoming yeah. weekend. So, like, last thing, and then we'll we'll go off. Like, the th- this was against Talia flipping flicking Tagovailoa. Okay, like this guy's a really good the best quarterback. quarterback. We're going to see the rest yeah. of the way. Uh, and his QBR, and again, I discussed this that many times. QBR is a bullshit stat, but his QBR is half what Sullivan's is in this game. And the reason is because his average yards per attempt is way lower. And the reason for that is because he didn't have a lot of time to throw the football. And he was leaving the pocket and moving, trying to buy time all the time because they were on him. They, they were flushing. They were putting him work, and it made a huge difference. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats! So let's look ahead uh, to this weekend's game against Iowa at Wrigley Field. Who, uh... Uh... Should we start with the uh, the lowest over-under line that has ever been recorded in the history of over-under lines? Or should we go with the already has been fired but is coaching out the rest of the season offensive coordinator for for Iowa? I'll be honest. I don't really want to talk about either of those things. I want to talk about the fact that like we thought that this was a total like two teams in different yep. hem- like in different universes. At the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. And then as the season started, we were like, oh, like mea culpa. I thought Iowa's offense was going to find some answers this year. They are worse than last year. And some of that is some of that is injury because like now Cade McNamara and their two best playmakers at, at, at tight end are all are all gone. But like real talk, there's there's this uh, incredible line in the Phil Steele magazine about how Cade McNamara will be, quote, 
the first quarterback to top 60%, 60% completions here at Iowa since 2015. Well, guess what? Kate McNamara is going to finish the, the year at completion percentage-wise. Not 60. 51.1%. Yeah. 51.1%. And so, like, as we were seeing that Iowa's offense was not was not going to improve, we started to say, like, well, I mean, like, hell, there's always a chance. And then their, their defense is still quite good. Oh, yeah. It ain't quite as good as last year. And maybe you mix in a little bit of luck or bad decisions or whatever, you know, for that Minnesota loss, et cetera. But regardless, like this team's beatable. Yeah. By us. Oh yeah. By Northwestern. This like when I say preposterous about the potential of the season, this is the most preposterous angle of them all. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to your point, like the big thing is like there is a part of me that's like, yeah. This defense is still unbelievably good, and I'm not sure I know how we're going to get points. I mean, I can imagine a couple of ways, but I mean, look at Minnesota. They didn't find an answer and be like, I'm not sure. I am. Hey, Minnesota scored enough yeah, to win. that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm less sure of? How in God's name Iowa scores points against us. I, I don't know. I literally don't know. If you said at the start. Uh, punt punt yeah, returns. God. If you, returns. Yeah, yeah, just put punt it out of bounds. But if you y'all. said at the start of the season, right, you were like, Iowa's offense, you guys, do, and we were high on Iowa because we were like, this offense has got to get better. Nope. Uh, but if you would have said, nope, Iowa's offense is going to suck again, I would have been like, I still don't know what that means for us because our defense is looking like it could be potentially really rough. And if they can run the football, which for stretches of this season – they they've been able to like limited stretches right um but i'd be like then i don't know the defense we've seen for the past three weeks you think iowa wants any part of this oh my god our guys like like is iowa's offense better than howard's i don't know (laughs) like (laughs) yeah i don't know like the and the nebraska no uh maryland hell no it's like the our defense is playing great football right now. These guys are stoked. These guys, you think this defensive line that has pulled something out of nothing this season, just through hard ass work and good coaching, you thinking they're not salivating for the chance to go up against this Iowa offensive line? They want to dominate these guys. Um, and it's like so, yeah. That low over under, sure. Give give Iowa's defense the credit. But I'm telling you, I don't know how they score points in this football game. I legit do not. I'm gonna tell you right now, so Carmen Bestone was listed at two sixty last year. He's bulked up quite a bit. He's listed at three hundred. It's legit. <laughs> he outweigh he outweighs or equals the weight of three of Iowa's offensive line starters. And I'm like, and again, it's like the way these guys are playing right now, go back and watch that clip of Reginald Pearson splitting those two dudes and then sitting on Tagovailoa. You think he can't do that against Iowa? I'm like, like, what can I say? The defensive line is locked in right now. At the exact moment, they're playing the worst offensive line on their schedule. Um, Like... How do we not be optimistic about that? 
Yeah, I like so. I mean, like this could, of course, go wrong a whole bunch of different ways, right? Like I was extremely adept at forcing turnovers, scoring off turnovers, scoring on special teams. Um, I am quite anxious about. So they've they you know they're coming off a bye, and the story of Iowa season basically goes like all the hubbubaloo about Brian Ferentz and not being able to score 25 points a game. And then like them really not being able to score 25 points a game. Then Luke Latchy, their top receiving threat at tight end getting injured for the season. Then Cade McNamara getting injured. Then Eric all the next best receiving option, another tight end getting injured. I mean, they're like, this is basically like a feral cat backed into a corner. Now, <laughs> I am, I am a little anxious about like, like they've had some success running the ball. So, um, two weeks ago they ran the ball quite well. Uh, and I am I like, I, I, you know, given that they're coming off a bye, and given that over the course of that bye week, they have decided to, um, it, it was against Wisconsin. So it was the Wisconsin game that they, um, that they ran the ball quite well. Um, 174 yards and, and 25 carries for, uh, LaShawn Williams. Um, they looked really, they looked really good on the ground. They didn't need anything from Deacon Hill. their 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 new QB. They've had two weeks to try to like kind of reevaluate and rethink things and kind of figure out what, what they can do. Um, I suspect that they are going to come out and just try to absolutely hammer Northwestern. I, I don't know if they'll be able to, which is really exciting. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm so buoyant about the, the potential of this game, but, but it's that unknown that I'm just a little anxious about, you know, like with Nebraska, we were coming off a bye. We knew they were coming off a bye. I was a little worried that they were going to get some, some stuff together on their end that we hadn't seen before. And I don't know that it was, it was stuff we hadn't seen before, but they executed pretty well on offense. And, um, that's like the one, the one wrinkle I'm worried about, but like on paper, this is an undersized Iowa, a historically undersized offensive line at Iowa without any real pedigree at any of the skill positions, any of the skill possessions and an offensive coach who has shown himself to be a bumbling fool who has been officially as of today, this afternoon, relieved of his duties at the end of the year. The, the other thing that's worth mentioning, too, is <clears throat> as good as Iowa's defense is, and like Scus said, as good as that defense is, it was better last year. And you know who had his best game, as Scus already said in this pod, prior to the Maryland game against Iowa last year, Brendan Sullivan. And we talked about that going into the Maryland game this year, Brent Sullivan was starting against Maryland for the second year in a row and that that was how rare that was. Well, he's the only Northwestern quarterback to start against two teams back to back for the second year in a row since Clayton Thorson. He's the only one who's going to have done that two games in a row, which is absolutely ludicrous to say, but it's true. So you have to go all the way back to 2018 to find the last time a Northwestern quarterback started against two teams that that's in a row that he played the, the previous year, okay? And Sullivan played pretty good against an ungodly Iowa defense stacked with NFL guys last year in a much worse situation than he's currently in. 
it's not to say that it's all going to work out, but it's going to say like Brendan Sullivan's not scared of this. He's ready. You think coming off that Maryland game, knowing how he played against Iowa last week, like, I mean, Iowa last year, like he's going to go to war in this one. Worth calling out, given our Jack Olson talk earlier, Minnesota attempted five field goals and hit four of them and won the game. Right. That's true. You hit field goals might be enough in this one. And, you know, the, the weirdness of Wrigley Field, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that impacts things. Uh, I, I think it, the weather is supposed to be okay. Um, chilly, but no, no, no precipitation. Um, obviously, we're going to be watching it at Bermisquis, so uh, we're not going to have to worry about any of the elements in, in this amazing venue. Uh, so come on out and join us. Um, subtle plug. I, I, I do think there's going to oh. be a lot of Iowa fans, but Wrigley is not a it's not an intimidating stadium from a fan point of view. Like like, you know, uh, Iowa's sure. home field could be um, so that like that is probably like I don't think like Northwestern is not going to have a home field advantage, but. They're not going to be at a real disadvantage either, even if the crowd is kind of 60 40 in favor. I, my Iowa. gut says it's going to be at least 70 30. I um probably probably. I I want to bring this up only because I don't know when else we would bring it up. And we alluded to bringing it up earlier. <laughs> um and as long as we're talking about offense in this game, right? And again, the the whole notion of Brian Ferentz, um Heaven being given his walking papers, right? And this is Brian Ferentz versus Mike Bajakian in this game. And again, it's Brian Ferentz versus Mike Bajakian. It is, what is, what is it? The lowest over of something like the ever. ever. Yeah. It's the lowest over ever. And both of those two, the the lowest, lowest point total. 29 and and a half. What it seems to have snuck up to 31, which is still the lowest uh, ever. Right. As, as we record and, this on, on Monday night. Right. And again, it's like we we know that the, the fingerprints of those two guys are all over that over. And we alluded to it earlier. And I'm only going to bring it up now because otherwise you'd be like, you guys said you were going to talk about it. And then you didn't talk about it. The <clears throat> So if with it, with all the plaudits we handed out for that game and all the amazing things that happened, if Coco doesn't make that interception and – and uh, Maryland scores on that drive, and we lose that game by one point. It's going to be largely remembered for what happened on third and fourth and inches in the fourth quarter of that game, in a situation where Northwestern effectively would have ended up being up three three possessions and put that game away ultimately. And <clears throat> they asked Braun about the fourth and inches after the game, and what Braun said was, look, like you have to make a call in the moment. You're looking, you're thinking, all right, we can kick a field goal here. Adds it, eventually sets us up to a situation where, you know, at the end of the game, Maryland's got to drive down for a touchdown instead of a field goal, and you hope that makes a difference. And you know what? He was right, because, like, Maryland had to keep pushing, and Coco made that play. Um, but a useful data point on that fourth and inches of whether or not to go for it would have been if Northwestern had just done what just about anybody does on third in inches. And it's literally, the ball was literally at the one inch line, which is just either sneak it or plow it into the end zone. It's worth mentioning Northwestern's first touchdown of the game was from like the one or two yard line. And Northwestern just went heavy, went under center and then just dove it to Cam Porter. And he scored a touchdown. This play was at the one inch line. 
So obviously everyone in the stadium, you watching at home, as soon as Northwestern came out in a shotgun with Jack Lausch next to Brennan Sullivan, we were like, what are we doing? And then the second that play started, everyone's like, are you kidding me? And then it didn't work. It's actually worse if you go back and you watch it. Because what a lot of you probably don't know is what happened on the play that Northwestern ran on that third and inches. Northwestern ran a play that effectively you get to run once all season. And what that play was is it's a good play. It's a good play that is based on like the kind of bullshit that a team can like barely get away with, the chicanery. Like it's the kind of play that if it works, the opposing team's 100% yelling at the refs after about it. And basically what it is is Northwestern effectively hid Charlie Mangieri tackle eligible to the right side of the field. And what they did is they came out with three other heavies to the right side of the field and then moved them all from the right side of the field to the left side of the field and then sat for the minimum amount of time that you're kind of required to wait before you can snap the ball in a situation like that. And you hope that with all that movement, the other team doesn't notice that when all those guys left and moved over to the right side, to the left side of the field, that the right tackle is not a tackle. He's a tight end and he's eligible, right? You've all seen certain plays like this. I think we're all familiar with that play from what was it, the Holiday Bowl, where J.B. Butler pretended to be a wide receiver, right? It's that family of plays. That guy yeah, needs a right. six pack. That guy needs a six pack. It's that kind of play. But in this case, Mangieri's eligible. The point is, you get to run this play once in a season. And if it works, and again, good play. You've got Lausch in the backfield with Sullivan. So the defense is like, oh, what kind of bullshit is this? Like, who's going to get the ball here? And maybe they don't look at the right tackle who's actually a tight end who's eligible. But the point is, you can run this play at your own five-yard line. You can run this play at third and one from your own 10 in a massive situation where you need a spark. And if it works, no one's covering Charlie Mangieri. And the only limit to the play is how far he can run because he's literally uncovered. And we took that play out of our bag and showed it to everyone left on our schedule to try to get one inch when we could have just gone under center and run a quarterback sneak or just dove up the middle. It was one of those ones where, again, we were able to bury it this deep in the pod because we won the game. But it's just the kind... It's it's not unrelated to why this is the lowest over in the history of college football. Um, and again, it's like, I think, you know, we know where this is heading and it was just one of those moments where, again, it's like, we alluded to it earlier, had to talk about it. It is what it is. We were able to bury it because it didn't end up factoring into the game, but it was rough and everyone in the stadium knew it at the time. And luckily we didn't pay for it. And anything else to, to mention on this? I mean, I, it's Northwestern Iowa. We, we know, we know what it looks like. We know what to expect. And I, I guess it just all comes down to, can we score on them? And can they get out of their way enough to try to score on us? I mean, buckle up. It's going to be um, like, I guess technically, like if you're going to rank the units, Iowa's defense is one. And then our 
offense and defense are two and three and their offense is four. I, or it's just, it's, it's, you go through, it's going to be interesting. You go through offensive positions. It's almost impossible to find a position where Northwestern's not putting the best personnel on the field. Yeah. It's, it's really wild. It's very different from years past. Um, so we'll see. I mean, this is going to, this is going to be fast. Like, is I like, is Brian Ferentz going to be like set free by the news that he's no longer going to be employed at the end of the year by Iowa? Like, like, will this be some, you know, magical revelation? Um, did they figure, did they figure out something that the quarterback can do well, you know, given, given he's not really a quarterback, um, you know, maybe Deacon Hill's got something up his sleeve this week. Maybe they've worked on, you know, throwing the ball <laughs> in the off week. I don't, I don't know. Um, there's, there's some real, some real interesting variables on that side of the house. But um, I tell you what, if we get, if we get the same Iowa that really struggled with Minnesota, really struggled with Wisconsin, uh, me, me like yeah. it. And again, this is, this is for a winning record. This is for five and four, nine games into That's the season. Bonk. That I can't. It's it's and it's. I, it's I, yeah. I don't it's even want to, to bring this up, and I, I may cut this out. But are you going to go to Sicko's committee to town here? Soon? I, I I will not. I will not. I'll I'll, I'll, right. I'll just let, leave that unsaid, and you know we're not going to worry about it. Let's talk about uh, the other games that happened this past week in the Big Ten. Um, you know, Ohio State beats Wisconsin twenty-four to ten. What have we learned? Marvin Harrison Jr. is incredible. I, I was or Wisconsin's playing a backup quarterback, and yeah. it doesn't yeah. look great. Just remember, Wisconsin, who I guess has as good an argument at, for best team in the West as anybody in conference, they've scored thirteen more points than they've given up. Um, and and they are maybe the best team in the West. It's like you can't even really say. Uh, Penn State really got all they could handle from Indiana. I mean, that game was a lot closer than a lot of people expected. I, I, I don't know if all of us expected it to be that big of a runaway. But, you know, Indiana was frisky with Ohio State. And they, they played with Penn State most of this way. Yeah, I mean, I think coming out of Ohio State, the book was out on Aller. And again, he's his numbers are incredible this season, but so much of that's front-loaded from the start of the season with, with all the gifts that this team gives him. And he's got a lot of good growth yet to go. Yeah, so this was a pedestrian game from him. I mean, like, good, but pedestrian. Uh, Minnesota beats Michigan State 27-12. to uh, Jordan Newbin, 204 yards on 40 carries for Minnesota. Who? I mean, I like that Michigan State has switched to their quarterback from um, like like Kattenhauser and Sam Levitt both played in this game. There was no Noah Kim. Um, they're like Michigan State. It's a, it's a hard team to benchmark anything against. We we certainly in our preseason offseason previews did not say Mel Tucker was going to be fired and this team was going to be in turn turmoil. We did say Michigan State was going to be awful, and they yeah. are. Yeah, and man, Minnesota, like, Kaliak Manas had one of his best games of the year. Like, one of the best rushing performances Minnesota's had had on the year, which is certainly saying something. Daniel Jackson had, you know, averaged 17 yards per catch like that. Like, everything was working for Minnesota in this this game. And then uh, Nebraska beats Purdue 31-14. to 
this one was never close and that raised a lot of eyebrows because this is it was a big win for nebraska and an emphatic win and i think makes us not that that any of us are are looking ahead right now but it makes us all cast a side eye at purdue a little bit more um this weekend uh we got some interesting matchups i mean i I don't know. Ohio State at Rutgers. Ohio State is an 18 and a half point favorite uh, with the over under at 42 and a half. That man. What, wait, what was the what day again? 18 and a half? 18, 18 well, actually, and a I half. I guess when you stop and think about it. I mean, when's the last? That's got to be the lowest Rutgers. Like, the closest Rutgers has been to Ohio State in like since they joined. Yeah, Ohio State line ever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Probably, yeah. Uh, Wisconsin, a nine and a half point favorite on the road at Indiana. Woo! Look out, look out, Bucky. I think uh, this this could be where. I mean, Indiana has looked feisty against Ohio State. They looked feisty against Penn State. They looked feisty for a very brief period of time early on against Michigan. Like this could be where they they get their uh, they actually not they notch a a, a, a nice win. Uh, Nebraska on the road at Michigan State, only a three-point favorite uh, over under 34.5, so another very, very low line. Is there something I'm missing on that one? Uh, I don't know. So I don't know that Harburg has – so he was on the road at Illinois. It's the only road game he's played. Hmm. But Michigan State is terrible. I, and I also, know, I mean, like, but, for all um, everyone, including us, said about Rule and his rebuilding schedule and everything, and obviously we all know we could have won that game easily. Like, we're like we're well aware that this is for bowl eligibility for Nebraska. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm, this is one of those, like, oh, man, it seems like Vegas knows something lines. I know, right? um, it feels like I, it's kind of a classic letdown spot, right? Like, Nebraska's had two really nice wins at home. Um, they're going on the road to a team that is that literally has nothing to lose. Um, I don't know. I would expect Nebraska to win this like somewhat easily, but who knows? Uh, Penn State at Maryland, a two thirty kick on Fox. Uh, Penn State a ten and a half point favorite. Over under is fifty. Like if we got five sacks, is Penn State going to get fifteen? <laughs> That's what I was kind of thinking. I'm like, like Talia is like such a good quarterback and capable of playing at such a high level. And maybe I'm just because like we, you know, he was good, but not great against us. And right. Then I'm thinking of like what Penn State's going to throw at them. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe at the end of the day, that line's all, all right. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like Penn State's D is going to handle it. Illinois at Minnesota. Minnesota only a two point home favorite. So this is like this is another weird one, right? This like mm-hmm. that 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 does not track coming off of how they just looked last week and how bad Illinois has been. But like Illinois in Illinois Rundy is definitely more stout than Michigan State, but they got to travel up to Minneapolis. I don't know. It's it it is weird. It's, it's very is, weird. This is a game between the first and last place teams in the West and Minnesota's a two point two favorite. Point favorite. That's, amazing. That's, wild. <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, I like 
credit to the West, Illinois is three and five, right? Like, um, I know there's a lot yeah. of funny memes going around about like how, how you know, could we get a seven way tie? I, I don't, I don't think and, we know, can. Nebraska anymore, beating Purdue, that, yeah. yeah, Nebraska beating Purdue ended it, but um, it is a uh, very big Big Ten Westy, isn't it? Uh, Purdue at Michigan, uh, Michigan a thirty two and a half point favorite. Uh, Forty nine is the over under. That's a six thirty on NBC. So night game in the big house. Stop, stop. He's already dead. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think I'm taking the over there. Yeah, poor poor, poor. I think you mean you're taking Michigan. Yeah, poor, that, poor I mean poor, not the poor, over. Yeah. Yeah. Poor, I mean, maybe Purdue. I'll take the over too because Michigan will pour on a bunch of points, but yeah. Well, I gotta think I gotta think the Michigan like players are kind of kind of you know, yeah, that there's right some now. circle the wagons going yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty easy to get that team motivated these days. Um, although I although I don't know how they're going to beat Purdue without the ability to get their, their to steal their sides. <laughs> it had to be. It had to be said. It had to be said. Oh man. Um. Yeah. One. One other. No. I mean, I. I. I didn't mention, but uh, our game. Is a two thirty start on Peacock. So if you're not uh, subscribed to that streaming service, uh, you might want to do that, or come on over to Bermiscuous and, and watch with us there. Uh, Going to be a good time. Exactly. Um, quick look at the rest of the country. Um, you know, we got some action on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, Wake Forest Duke on Thursday. Um, you know. Chris, so so Chris Giannini, our good friend, joined us and was was in the stands with us for uh, the Maryland game, and it was fantastic to have us with him, to have him with us, um, as it always is. I, I don't know what Chris is going to be watching this week. I don't know if there are any big ones um, that that will be on his radar. Probably not. Um, there's, I can't really see. I mean, he's an LSU guy. I forget. I there's a team that he dislikes, but I can't remember which team that is. Um, I don't know who who can remember, who even knows what those SEC rivals. Yeah, I mean, are. it's all it's all up in the air. Yeah, no, but yes, LSU is at Alabama. Uh, many people will watch. <laughs> it's it's a big one. Are they up against Colorado though? I mean, well, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, some other big matchups with ranked teams. I mean, Missouri. 14th ranked Missouri uh, goes to Georgia and is probably going to get curb stomped because Georgia seems to be curb stomping everybody. Georgia doesn't lose at home. Yeah. But it's wild, though. You're right. They're all the way up to 14th and, like, they're an afterthought. They shock the nation. They could sure as hell wake everyone up. But, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. You know who is going to lose at home? Who's that? Dabo effing fake ass. <laughs> I, you, He's awake yeah, now. You've had the whole tra- pod. I, I primed that at the beginning. I just, <laughs> yeah. I just let that let that burble for a while. Oh man, yeah, that's oh god. They have to play Notre Dame. Wow, to go to four and five, man. I mean, here's the thing. Like, yeah. So, um, for the like the the. I know there's a lot of people that listen to this pot. There's a, most Northwestern fans, in fact, really don't like Notre Dame, and for good reason because Notre Dame sucks up all the oxygen in Chicago media, and for I bi- I, bi- I don't basically like because Notre Dame. of well, <laughs> yeah. basically because of volume, right? Um, volume of of readers and 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 whatnot in the in the in the Chicagoland area. 
Um, and so as a result, many, many of the folks, uh, that are Northwestern fans that listen to this podcast, you guys, um, I happen to have married into a Notre Dame family, so I don't have much of a choice, but to, um, support them in some way, shape or form, um, begrudging as it may be. But, um, this is a weekend where I implore everyone to fight the good fight and embrace what is, you know, an acceptable evil in Notre Dame facing a pathetic, phony. This is, look, Scott's been you waiting Notre for Dame, this. If you think Notre Dame is overly religious, let me uh, introduce you to Clemson. Uh, like okay. just like, just light this thing on fire and let's are, burn are you, it down. Are you going to apply Please. for Dabo's job? Because he said anyone who wants to apply for it can go ahead and do that. Oh yeah, dude, dude got all bent out of shape today because a caller like asked him about his salary and his four and four record. Like like the most basic retort that a college football coach could possibly have to field, and he like lost his salad over it. Like good grief. Scuzz, let me tell you about another well, guy. Well, dad, <laughs> gum, like, why don't you apply for my job? Scuzz, oh. let me tell you about another guy who once it looked like he was going to have some losing seasons, and everyone commented, and everyone counted him out. His name was Jesus. Okay? <laughs> That's what uh, uh, Clemson is Clemson's built on the name, image, and likeness of our <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Uh, that's a direct quote from a uh, from a Dabo press conference earlier this year. Good, yeah. good, uh, good guy. Get this, get this clown out <laughs> of this like quasi serious profession uh, where he does. And not yet, belong. Notre Dame's only a three point favorite on the road. Yeah, and with good reason. I mean, like they're you know they're not a perfect team. Like, and coming off of an absolute curb stamping of Pitt at home, like this is a classic yeah. letdown spot. So, yeah. I know. I it, not, it, not, it, not as not as classic as when Louisville went to Pitt and lost, and now number four Florida State goes to Pitt. Um, that's like the biggest like road like watch. Out I was going to say this week, but that one's trap, trappy, trap, trap. Absolutely. You you know Pitt loves to uh, ruin. Well, they the season. sure do. Um, Washington USC. I mean USC's lost a couple games, but uh, you know. Washington can go down to can go down to the Coliseum, and if Penix shows out, you know, you're if nothing else, inviting him to New York. Yeah, and uh, you know, yeah, Chicago Bears, like watching this one, eyes wide open. <laughs> yeah, the uh, this just consider this game an audition for the the top of the NFL draft. These two guys are, yeah. are both right there. Yep. I mean, Pe- you know, Penix had his had his Heisman moment against Oregon. Uh, that was a home mm-hmm. game. Um, but, he, he, you know, you go he, on the he, road, you go to L.A. and do that. If you, you know, show out again like that. Yeah. Yep. What Washington has uh, they struggled a little bit with um, Arizona on the road. That was a tight one. And then they had a real tight game against Arizona State uh, the week after Oregon. It, interestingly, neither one of these teams, USC and Washington, neither one of them has been ex- exceptional on defense this year. This is going to be an extremely high score. 76 game. is your over-under. Yeah. Holy this one, moly. I, this, this is a huge day from the perspective of the Heisman Trophy because two of the guys who are right at the top are Michael Penix and Jaden Daniels, and yeah. both of those guys have a chance to get a massive win. 
Well, and then and then Caleb Williams is like he's probably lost at this point. But like if 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 Daniels and Penix look horrible and he's amazing, I mean like JJ JJ McCarthy's still right there too. So yeah, yeah. But McCarthy's going to have his uh, his his chance to fall uh, and falter later on. It's all it's all about timing, man. It's all about timing. Mm-hmm. I, like I think I don't think Williams is out of it yet. So, but like you're you're right, John. Like this is. Of of the of the four guys whose names have been most spoken of about the Heisman this year, um, three of them are in gargantuan matchups this weekend, and two of them play each other. Yeah. Uh anything else to mention before we get out of here? I know we're uh, running a little bit long, but uh... yeah. So one thing that we haven't talked about yet, because there was so much meat on the bone relative to this game, is something that happened before the game. Um, we were really lucky, um, and we had talked about this in the lead up to the tailgate. We were really fortunate to have Walt Verson and Roland Mesa come by the tailgate. And Walt Verson, and we alluded to it, and we'll briefly, just briefly mention it here because we'll be running the, the segment on it that we recorded at the tailgate live um, later in the week. But... Um, there's just this unbelievable chain of events where Walt Verson and several other Northwestern offensive linemen, circa late 70s, around 77 through 1980, a chain of, of incredible events led to these guys um, being the security detail for Queen, the band. And yeah, like Walt, like all the, all the details, but like. Walt Verson, at 22 years old, as a Northwestern senior football player, was the head of security for Queen and went to 82 concerts where he stood on stage uh, and carried Freddie Mercury out onto the stage all over the world for 82 concerts at, you know, literally at the age of 22 years old and was part of a group of guys who did this. And it's such a wild, crazy story that there's a documentary in the works about it, directed by Roland Mesa, who was also at the tailgate. It's a crazy story. The documentary is in the works. We had a chance to talk a little bit more in length with them live, and we'll get them on the pod down the road too, and we'll talk much more about this. But again, you it is really easy to see how they're making a documentary about this. It is a crazy story. It was really fun to have these guys come by the tailgate and uh, just look forward to that coming down the pipe. Yeah, it's such a really, a really interesting, um, really extremely interesting um, story of Northwestern lore, and uh, like how how it comes about. Like a, a combination of security in those days was typically like you were hiring biker gangs, and Queen decided to do something different, and it's just it's 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 wild. The um, the pictures that they have, uh, like, you know, being in, you know, John mentioned carrying Freddie Mercury out on stage and costume being part of the show. Like, um, it's just an incredible, incredible, uh, tale. And it, uh, the documentary is going to be unbelievable when it comes out too. Yeah. Definitely looking forward to that. Just on, like, again, to echo both you guys, great story. Um, it's really cool to, to talk with them and yeah. Uh, look for that interview coming out a little bit later on this week, um, in the feed. So, uh, definitely psyched about that. Um, also, uh, Evanston City Council met tonight, uh, moved things forward, I, I guess, to the 
the the big vote, I guess, November thirteenth. Um, you know, kind of gilding the the skids a little bit with a one hundred million dollar uh, check that they're writing to Evanston uh, to kind of give back to the community. Um, basically, th- that to me sealed sealed the deal. I mean, obviously, there's you know people against it, and a, a lot more. Or I guess not that much more is going to be said because the you know the meeting was tonight uh, that you know like I say advanced it to the vote you know got put it on the on the docket for voting on the November thirteenth. Uh, I mean, Scuzz has been meeting. the guy so who's probably we will see. I mean, not that we haven't been Sam, but like Scuzz more so than than anyone has from the very beginning been like the inexorable forces will move this thing forward. And it is going to happen, and it's just gravity moving this thing downhill. And that is just, you see certain notes like, and now here's the big massive donation to the community that is the final nail to hammer this thing in, and it's all just moving forward. And there may be little details to get ironed out, but this is happening. Yeah, um, anything else? Or uh, go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Come to Beer Miscuous. Join us. We're gonna have a blast. Yeah, it's it's gonna be so much fun. Um, you know, can't wait to see as many of you who can make it as possible. Um, yeah, come on by. We're gonna have we're gonna have a good time. It's uh, twenty eight twelve North Lincoln Avenue again. Um, Beer Miscuous is at the corner of Racine and Diversi, uh, right on Lincoln. It's a little six way intersection there. Uh, just a block and a half from the Diversity Brown Line stop. Um, come on by. We're go- we're gonna have a good time. Um, yeah, I- I'm saying that like 15 times because it's gonna be fun. And you know, great beer selection, great ambiance, great venue, good friends. Northwestern uh, grad owning the bar, so we're supporting supporting our own. Uh, so it's gonna be gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skousby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.